right, everybody, we are back with another episode with Maurice, the Marathon Panda, Loman, who's been on the show many times. If you haven't listened to the Maurice show before, please go back and check them out. We've had him on a bunch of times. We'll touch on his past. Again, when appropriate, in this episode, Maurice has overcome addiction in the past. He has gone from a non-runner to a runner to a marathoner to running all sorts of marathons, a run streaker, an ultra runner, and now a hundred mile finisher. Maurice, welcome back, my Happy friend. Happy Thursday. I am so excited and so grateful to be back on the show. Your show has grown leaps and bounds over the last several years, and I am just really grateful to continue to be a part of it, um, especially with you and I you know, continuing to grow a close relationship in the running community, because we're almost neighbors. Rhode Island's so small. I know, and we get to run. We get to run together exactly. occasionally, That's which so is always cool nice. Yeah. So actually, what my longest run of my recent marathon cycle was with and you, that, which you, was funny because it was you like kicked my butt that day. We. St- <laughs> well, I'm not going to let you get away with that because I the day before this run, we basically did a hilly 18 miles. Was I ran like four miles the day before? The day before, you ran like 20 miles. And then also the morning of the run, you like did like heavy deadlifts and then went right from the gym into our run. So it was a it was an apples and orange comparison. That's I appreciate for sure. you touching on that. But you absolutely dropped the hammer um, the first nine miles. I appreciated the um, the loop. And then when we went out for the second loop, I think you slowed down quite a bit to make it a to make it a joyful day for myself because my pace was was quite a bit slower than yours. So I appreciate that. And we had a lot of fun selfies and high fives and lots of hills for breakfast. That was great. No, it was a fun time. I would tell you, it was it was nice to get the time on feet. You know, I was talking to my coach afterwards. He's like, "This is great." He goes, "More time on feet, the better for you. Exactly. You need it." We're talking exactly. to, he was talking to me in that case. You didn't need it. You had all the time <laughs> on feet you would ever want. So you recently did the Havelina One Hundred. People may have been watching the live stream this past weekend. An absolutely fantastic race, and it always is out in the desert. Um, I guess first things first, this is your first 100 mile race. It was right? my first official 100 mile race. So what, what what about this race attracted you to it? There's 100 milers all over the place. Basically, you can't get farther away from where you and I live in the Continental 48 than where you ran this race. So what about this race brought That's you in? That's very true. Um, it's a great question. I say things all of, I say this all of the time. What's on your calendar? And uh, I'm thankful to my mentors, Lori and Paul. Coach Lori had suggested this race way back in December of last year. I registered for it. I, I had no idea how I was going to do it but I registered for it, put that registration right up on my wall. And just to remind myself, I had something big coming up. It was basically 10 and a half months out. I knew I was going to stay consistent with the strength training. I knew I was going to stay consistent with the increased mileage. Um, And I also knew that I was going to be entering um, the Anchor Down Ultra in the summer as my first 24-hour event. And that would be a great gauge, great warm-up, whatever you want to call it, to see how ready I was to be in some sort of 24 hour or 100 mile event. Shoot. You even started off the year with an ultra. I think first week of 2022, you were at the part of my language, but this is just the name of the race, the fat ass 50 K, which is about a mile away from where we live. Now that race, so that's up in Massachusetts. It's a looped course. And that race, it was snowing. I mean, there was snow and ice everywhere. The pictures are crazy. You basically, I love how you bookended this year in ultras with a run in the snow finished off by a run it's in the desert. It's so cool that you recognize that. I did have to um, I did have to drop down to the marathon distance that day just because it was snow-covered trails that they did not have a chance to, to clear out at all. That's right, because they do have that option. I forgot about that. No, I it's fine, and I was very grateful for that option. They told us I was three or four loops in and they said listen if you come up with the marathon finish you are considered an official marathon finisher um and i just made the decision game time um i shouldn't say game time i made the decision late in the day to to call it you know to call it a day at the 26.2 mile distance and i was very happy with that it was it was truly a marathon in the snow on the trails so i can't say that i had ever done that before and i was really really glad to get that done first time i ever used um snow tracks uh the yak tracks on my shoes shout out to uh lenny from from zero to ultra uh, my buddy over there and he he put the uh, he helped me with the snow tracks it's funny i i 
obviously was aware that you ran this race, but I had forgotten that you had. So I was actually researching ultras for myself, looking at like, oh, what are ultras are around New England? So I also I stumbled across this one, and I, as one would, as one does, it's like 11:30 at night. I'm just like perusing different races. I go through the race results. I'm like Maurice Lowman. <laughs> I didn't even know. I totally forgot that you had done that race. Um, now, it's hard to tell sometimes, even going on all trails, um, looking at the app and the pictures online, you can kind of see in some some courses you can see all right, what, what is the um, technicality of the race course in terms of like the rocks and roots and stuff like that. You throw snow in the mix and snow on top of leaves. What was it like from a footing perspective? So the, the tracks saved me. The, the tracks saved my day. Um, and I have to give Lenny another shout out. He called me the night before and he, he said, dude, you don't have any? He said, I'm at REI right now. I'm going to grab you a pair and just give me the money in the morning when I pick you up. Because we did the race together. Um, he said, you won't make it tomorrow uh, if you don't have them. So I threw them on the Hoka's, um, the And that saved the day for the footing. When we say that it was a trail ultra that I dropped down to the marathon distance, I have to touch on the fact that I am not an experienced trail runner. You know me. I'm pounding the pavement. I'm on the streets. I'm yapping out, run these streets, all that stuff. Um, the majority of my runs are on the pavement. The training I do on the trails was at Colt State Park in, in Bristol, Rhode Island. So not a very technical trail. I am very excited. And it's only like one Correct. mile Correct. And I'm very excited to learn more about the trails. I, I, I love it. Um, but at that point, I had not had a lot of experience, especially in a race. And I think the biggest challenge of the day for me was staying on course. I was less than a full loop in. And one of the lead runners noticed that I was heading in the wrong direction. And she said, sir, what are you doing? You know, get back on course. I said, thank you so much. Got back on course. Second or third loop ended up getting lost again. So um, the, 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 the course was marked. However, with all of the snowfall, some of the fluorescent tags and the trees were, were not as visible as they as they would have been without the snowfall. And when you're looking down at your feet the whole time, they give you the most well-marked course in the world. This happened to me on the trail run yesterday. Like, you know, the leaves are everywhere. So it's like three or four inches of leaves all over the place. This was a well-marked course. I completely missed a turn, not because it wasn't marked, because I wasn't looking up. I was like, you know, looking out six to eight feet ahead of me, trying to negotiate like, all right, it, what's under these leaves? I felt like I needed x-ray goggles to try to figure right, it out. Right, right. Make sure you're not you're not falling. Absolutely. All right. So in the last episode that we did, I know that we touched on your increase, not specialization, but you, your increased involvement in strength training. So this was something that you had gotten into. And at that point, you were definitely experienced in it, but it was still like, all right, you were less than a year really diving into it like full time. You obviously have kept that up and maybe even taken it to a different level. I think before you were working more on pliability. Now you're doing a little bit more heavier stuff. How has strength training evolved for you and how has it incorporated, how has incorporating into your running helped you with some of the events that you've taken on? Uh, I love that question. And I, and I know it's a, it's an ongoing theme in the running community um, that the solution to a lot of runners, um, my, well, let's, let's talk about myself and, and not try to talk about other people. Um, my, my story was I had hit a true plateau, not just a plateau where it was difficult. A perfect example, a 145 half marathon was something that I could do like clockwork. I could be a 145, not to say that that's anything spectacular, but just to throw some numbers out there. 143s, 144s were, were, were very attainable for me. They started to become very difficult for me to keep that type of pace. I thought that I wasn't um, excelling in any areas. Um, and then I came across, and I know we talked about this last episode, but I'll touch on it again. I came across a hamstring aggravation slash injury. So with the help of you know, my buddy Alex, who's now my body coach at TB12, we were at a, a former PT place. Um, he said he and he said, please don't take this the wrong way. You're just not strong. Um, and that and, and he just kept saying you need to incorporate strength training if you want to prevent injury and you want to get stronger. He said as a runner, as somebody that can get up, lace their shoes up and go for four, five, six, seven, even eight hours like you tell, told me that you can do. He said you should be strong in certain parts of your legs, your calves, things like that. So the hamstring aggravation slash injury went away. I got serious about the strength training, stayed super consistent with it. It took months, Matt. It took months to be able to master some of the single leg exercises that might be so routine for people, the single leg RDLs and the split squats 
and things like that. I just did not have the balance and the coordination because I had never done it consistently. My idea of strength training prior to this past, you know, 14 to 16 months, my idea of strength training was, you know, 30 push-ups, 50, you know, and try to, you know, 50 squats or something like that and try to do it a few nights a week and then never stay consistent with it. If I went to the gym, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd get on the bench machine, the squat machine, you know, um, things like that. And just no consistency and no true knowledge of what I needed to do. I started to see slight progress in the balance, in the mobility, in the ability to do single leg exercises. And I it just translates right over to the running. You feel better. You feel stronger. I'm also trying to become more smart and mature about the recovery process, the resting. Um, you touched on pliability. Um, I, I, I'm very fortunate where I get to go to a few sessions um, here and there and get the pliability work done. So it's, it's a lot of progress in areas where I wasn't even involved in before. Yeah, and I think the key part here is where you started in terms of you had someone kind of take a peek at like, all right, what, what do I need to work on? Right. It wasn't just like, Hey, here's a, you know, a, a one size fits all plans. Like this person's looking at you like, Hey, you're, 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 you're weak in this part or you're weak in that part. Let's kind of build this up. And it allows you to kind of like pick up, you know, pick up from an individual perspective. Like what do I need to work on? Not only because I'm deficient in it, but also it's important for the sport that I'm playing. And I think that that's a unique thing for, for people too, because it means so easy to just be like, all right, I found this plan, I'm going to do it. And it might work for you, it might not, but it might also might not be, you might be leaving some a lot of meat on the bone if you're not tailoring your work to something that's very specific for you, especially with running, because it's like, hey, you don't need to be, and some people like to, but you don't need to be, you know, putting up huge weights in order to become a stronger runner and to just be, to, for for weight training to work for you. However, you do need to make sure that there's certain things that you're addressing, especially if you're deficient, which I think is, you know, ties it back to the beginning of like having a pro kind of there in the beginning to help you assess that. Right. And and shout out to my strength training program, uh, TFW Rhode Island, because I can remember the looks and when I first started and they were very, very patient with me. And I might be making this up, but I, I, I could imagine the looks and, and the thoughts going through people's heads that, you know, this guy runs marathons and he can't do you know, a single leg RDL, or you can't do a split squat. And they were very patient with me. I was on the basic moves as far as like goblet squats. I wasn't allowed in the weight room for a few months until I, until I built up the, you know, the basic foundation. Now I am in the weight room. Now I am putting weight on the racks and doing back squats and things like that. And nothing crazy. I'm not putting up, you know, huge numbers. Um, there is a motto there, lift heavy and sprint on. And I do have a vision of, you know, becoming very strong and becoming faster than I am right now. And especially now with everybody talking about this hybrid athlete stuff and you don't need to be skinny to be fast. You can be strong and be fast. And there's so many people, you know, I look up to like Sally McRae, Yellow Runner and and Nick Bear and uh, with all that fitness stuff going on. Um, and they just kind of embrace that get strong, run long mentality. And I, I love that. I want to keep running long distances, but I also want to get strong. I was never a fan of, you know, just shedding weight. I, I want to be fit, um, but I want to be strong and I want to be smart about it. Yeah, this is a great point because also it ties into your personality, right? Like if like if someone enjoys lifting and they want to, they enjoy like pursuing strength and in its own right, and kind of embracing that aspect of it, even if it's like, you know, even if one, someone wanted to argue like, hey, you'd be a better runner. I mean, Patrick Cutter talks about this uh -huh. all the time. People messaging him on Instagram being like, hey, if you, if you cut down 20 pounds of muscle, you'd be faster. And he's like, yeah, you might be right. Who's to say? I'm not going to argue with you, but I like doing this. I like lifting weights. I like having my body the way it is right now. I get a lot of joy out of that. I also like running. I'm, I'm just going to do both because that's what I like doing. And I think that there's a lot of value. I'm in so that. glad you brought him up. He was one of the first people that, because I've followed him on Insta since I started my Insta. And he's one of the first people that I re remember and recognize saying, hey, you don't have to fit into this category of a fit, small, skinny, whatever. And not to offend anybody with these these terms that I'm using. Right. It's, just, it's just like what, what you're correct. Purpose. And he said he would hear a lot of talk about, hey, 
You'd be faster if you weren't lifting so many big weights. You'd be faster if you weighed 15 pounds less. And he just said, I'm going to do my own thing. I am going to do my own thing. And it's working for him. He's, he's phenomenal. He inspires so many of us. Right, right. And I think we all have different goals too, right? It's not like he's sitting there like, all right, like I want to, or anybody, right? Just being like, all right, like the goal isn't necessarily to be like the absolute peak, best, fastest runner I can be. Even if that was the case, and even if you could be like, all right, but these are things you need to do, be like, all right, but that's fine. But also I like doing these other things too. And I'm not a one-dimensional person, so I'm gonna do both of these things. And I can do and I can do both of these things and still be a really good That's athlete. and that's my focus right now. I say it all the time to, you know, my little silly jokes that I say I'm I'm never gonna break any speed records. I'm not winning, you know, the local half marathons. I'm not gonna win a marathon. Um, I'm not gonna win an ultra, you know but I want to become more efficient. Okay. That I just finished my very first 100 mile race. So excited to beat the cutoff. But the first thing I thought of was how could I be more efficient? How could I shave two hours off of that time? How can I shave four hours off of that time and eventually get to the point where maybe I'm in that 20 hour sub 20 hour circle of people, you know, put it in perspective, the guy that won broke the cost record and ran it in a 1258. So we're not going to Dakota Jones throwing it down to be there. Um, But you can it's something to strive for. I think it's very, very possible for me to shave hours off of that time with the right work, with the right maturity. Um, I really do need to work on cleaning up my my pit stops. I take a lot of um, it helps me on the mental side of things, knowing that I can sit down for for seven minutes, for 10 minutes. Now, some people might say that's way too long. But in my for me on game day, that helps me. That helps me. That 10 minute break helps me. Now I can go back out for three hours or for five hours knowing, hey, if you make it another five hours, give yourself another 15 minute break. Have another hot cup of coffee. Whatever, whatever your thing is. Oatmeal, coffee. I was eating everything. They had quesadillas and everything out there. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, I was listening to Ellie Pell today and her and Kitty Asmuth were on the Rest Day podcast, which is part of Free Trail. And they were talking um, just about like some of the some of the high profile races. I think they were talking about Javelina and the UTMP race and the Golden Trail Series. And they um, they were talking about Heather Jackson and Javelina, who, who was leading the women's race for a long period of time and kind of struggled in the last 20 miles or so. Struggles, these are in quotes. She still ran incredibly well and has a bright future ahead coming from triathlon into ultras. And Ellie Pell brought up a good point. She's like, listen, this is her first 100. You have to run 100 before you can race 100. Now, maybe that's not going to be the case for every single person, but Heather Jackson is an elite athlete. Even for her, it's like, you need that 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 step by step process. So you're aware of this. We talked about this all the time offline. So when did your training this year, your thought process, and all of that? When did it start to focus on Havelina during this year? Was it right at the beginning? Was it halfway through? When, when did Havelina and the training for Havelina become the primary mission of 2022? So I feel that anchor down. Um... You know, the Bristol race that I just I, I believe they gained a lifer with the Marathon Pander. I don't I do not see an August in my future where I am not attending the Anchor Down Ultra Marathon. I am so hooked, so excited to be part of that that community for a first time. That was my big, big I trained so heavy for that. The long the long hours on my feet, the morning ten mile runs, going to work all day coming home and trying to do, well, not trying, but completing, even if it was just a 10K, just to get that additional time on your feet, training the body that when you're tired, you can go another six miles, you can go another seven miles, training the brain in the morning when you're tired and your legs are tired from the night before, going back out for seven or eight or nine miles. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a guy, I wasn't racking up 100 mile weeks. I, I believe I only had two 100 mile weeks in my training cycle, um, getting up to, to anchor down. Um, it was the time on the feet. It was the combination of the heat, the, the sauna training, you know, doing the hot Pilates and the hot yoga. Very, very thankful to be introduced to that. Um, and I, I have to thank, you know, I have to thank coach Lori. She wins 100 mile races. So she knows what it takes. And she, she adhered, she made the, the training plan 
with my with my abilities. I had I'm not a 100 mile a week guy. I'm not smacking down back to back. Well, and it's also hard because when you're running at like the paces that we run, 100 mile weeks takes a lot longer than 100 mile weeks Correct. does for Correct. a pro. It's going to be Correct. like. It's going to be like fifty percent more time on right. feet. So the time on the feet was the was the was the biggest focus. Just making sure, even if it was a day where I was tired, get four hours out on my feet, and then the next day, get two hours. Okay, and then Saturday something short, and then Sunday get another four hours. So you're stacking hours upon hours upon hours. Anchored down prepared me for Havelina uh, more than I can even more than I, I can even describe at this moment. And when and when was the race? Just so the that listeners was in know? the middle of August. Okay, so that presents obviously unique challenges, but challenges that are also um, right there when you're running in the desert. Right, you're running a 24 hour race in the middle of August. You know, you're going to be you know heat is going to be a huge huge factor if you're in New England. You're also talking about the humidity, bring the right? Heat. So bring the heat. I love so, it. So so when you're getting ready for that race and you're like, oh my god, like not only am I running for 24 hours, which I've never done before, but I'm going to be doing it in the most brutal month of the year in the place that I live. So how much of like how much heat training did you have to do to get ready to just like again just be outside for 24 hours? Never mind running the whole time. So I, I love the heat. I love the heat, and I had done little things like you know. Uh, when it was hot out, maybe wearing a long sleeve shirt and tights under under my shorts, just to just to raise the difficulty level that much more, and just to be uh, more hot, you know, for lack of a better term, just just to be more hot and more uncomfortable. Wearing a weight vest in a hot summer, um, in a hot summer race, wearing a weight vest—it sounds crazy—but I had to wear a hydration pack throughout Havelina, and those two Gatorade bottles or those two flasks on the front—they become very heavy. Um, almost bruising your, your ribs or your chest, that two liters of water on your back starts to become very heavy. Two liters is not heavy, but 70 miles into an event, it's pretty heavy. Um, but I had the training. I kept telling myself, this is easier than the weight vest was. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. And heat training was everything from being fully dressed in a long sleeve fleece, sitting in the sauna after doing um, a weight training session, so that that was done a few times, um, 90 minute hot yoga sessions, 60 minute hot Pilates sessions. And I can't be more grateful that I was introduced to those two activities. We're talking about a guy, if you said 24 months ago, if you said, you know, hot yoga, I had no idea what it was. No idea. Hot Pilates, no idea what it was. So to be fully immersed in that community, um, and and to be able to experience that and grow from that type of training, I'm I'm just really really grateful. So you finished anchor down 24 hour race in the the low 90s from a mileage perspective, which is which is incredible, especially that time of year. I mean, that's, that is really incredible. So talk to me about the confidence that you came out of that with and some of the things that you wanted to work on in the fall, getting ready for Halloween. So great, great, great question, Matt. Thank you so much. The confidence was, was, was tremendous because I went into that race with being trained, being prepared, having run in, I had run in the heat. I had run that Colt State Park Trail. You came out there with us. Um, shout out Ted, my pacer, who threw down an ultra by himself that day when he paced me. Um, but Ted Jordan, you came out there and practiced with us. I went into that race with an A goal of 80 miles, knowing that I had never run a 24-mile race. My previous distance PR was 56 miles from the run to respond event where we run across the state of Rhode Island to raise money for first responders. Um, but that 56 miles came with a lot of breaks. We were able to sit down at the fire stations, eat a sandwich, change our sneakers. Yeah. It was more of an adventure. Correct. It was like just an Correct. adventure day. So I don't look at that as like a race. It was a relay. I took all of the legs, but it was a relay where we sat down for, you know, 30 minute, uh, for 30 minute breaks. So it, a lot of breaks. Yeah. And I don't mean to disparage it when I say that. I just like, just want to set the context of what that day entailed in terms of expectations. Correct. Correct. So going into, um, going into anchor down, it's a 2.6 mile loop that you do, um, continuously, which is great because you don't have to carry a pack because you're never too far away from, from, you know, your hydration, your snacks and all of that stuff. Um, I had a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety and just 
I, I don't like to use the word, but I had some self-doubt that I would be the guy coming home with excuses as to why I could not finish strong. I knew I could run for eight hours. I knew I could run for 12. I knew I could probably have a really good 14 or 16 hour day. There was a lot of fear in me that I would be the guy power walking at the end of that event just to make it to the end of the 24 hours. Coach Laurie used to drill it in my head. Do you want to be walking or do you want to be running at the end of your 24-hour event? And I would say, I want to be running. And she would say, well, then listen to me. So I would go back out there and do those workouts on tired legs. I would do a fast 10K on tired legs on a Saturday morning after, you know, doing 60 or 70 miles, which for me, 60 or 70 miles in a week was a big number. So to go out on a Saturday morning and try to bang out a fast 10K with 60 or 70 miles on my leg, that, that was training for me. Um, and everybody's training looks different, but the, I'm just trying to give. I was surprised. I'd see you drop like a 22 minute 5K, like the day after a 12 mile run, just like, hey, I'm just gonna go out and hammer a 5K. I was like, oh my that, God, so like, that feel, this is that wild. The confidence telling myself, hey, you you still have legs. You, and, that, and I like to use those little coins. You, you know me with the hashtags and all that stuff. I like to use that stuff for self-motivation. Like you have the legs, you still have the legs, go get it done. So at Anchor Down, there were so many things that came into play. Um, Coach Laurie was on site. She was giving me hugs, high fives, encouragement. And I joke around, but it's not a joke. It's true. We set a PR for, for hugs that day because she's usually not that big of a, a hugger. Is I shouldn't say that. I'm the hugger. Um, and usually people can't keep up with the amount of hugs I give out. But she was so proud that I was, I was throwing down a solid effort. And even at game time, the race director, my coach, my a couple of my 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 close friends, they thought I was going to have a 70, 75 mile day the way that things were working out. I, a lot of power walking, but once again, it's a 2.6 mile loop. So you tell yourself you can run 0.6, you tell yourself you can run another mile and you put together a strong loop. There's a lot of power walking done because I'm not at the level where I can run these distances efficiently without stopping for the power walks. I try to power walk with purpose so it's at a fast clip and it's not just some stroll in the park. Um, because once again, I wanna be a runner at these distances and not just, and not to sound the wrong way. And I, I always you know, err on the side of caution and not trying to offend anybody. Um, everybody's different. I do not wanna be a power walker. I wanna be a runner. So at Anchor Down, the biggest victory was the mental victory when my legs felt good enough to keep turning over fast, fast for me, okay, <laughs> um, you know, 9, 10, 11 minute paces, which was pretty fast for me at that point. Um, I said, Maurice, you're doing it. You're not walking. You're running. You're not walking. You're running. You're doing it. You're, and so I was step by step just eliminating the fears, the anxieties, the self-doubt. My family showed up in the, in the, in the, my mom my son, a friend from TFW, my, my boy Mike G showed up. Like to, to have somebody show up to cheer me on. When I saw my son, I said, wait right here, wait right here. I'm going to show you how it's done. And I threw down my fastest 2.6 mile loop of the day. It was absolutely incredible. And when I finished that loop, I was ready to do another one. I didn't even stop at the aid station. I said, oh, and then when they came with ice water, because there was no ice water for like hours into the into the, the the day when it when it um could you start at night when the when it got hot there was nothing that was ice cold everything that being served was just you know room temperature because it had been out um, all night then somebody must have came with the truck of ice or something because everything turned ice cold they had ice water <laughs> they had ice gatorade um so that was a game changer because i didn't have to keep going back to my station to look for something cold and refreshing i was just getting shout out um Candace, she she was refilling my my um my handheld with ice cold water and shout out my buddy Alex again because he he showed up to hype me up and the hype, the support, the fact that I had the legs, I just kept moving. So when I surpassed 70 and then 80, I said, Maurice, you can do this. You can really have a day for yourself. Okay. And I love that. That somebody said that to me on the Havelina course. And for some reason, it just, I, I love that when someone said, have yourself a day, 
it, it, it just resonates with me. It's so motivational and it's so funny. You get these little tiny phrases sometimes. Flashback to Badwater. I had stopped for one second. Badwater 51 miler, everybody. 51 miler. I'm not a, a 135 guy yet. That's what I dream about. Um, I had stopped at about mile 47, okay, and put my hands on my knees and bent over forward, which they say you should never do. Um, because you, you, you're telling yourself you're kind of defeated. And the gentleman behind me said, that's not moving forward. The job is not finished yet. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot tell you what a kick in the butt that was. That got me to the 51.4 mile mark because I kept telling myself, you're right. Forward motion is going to get the job done. Stopping and putting your hands on your knees is not going to get the job done. At Anchored Down, I said, Maurice, you can do it. You can do it. You're going to surpass 80. I said, you got to get 90 now. You have to get 90. And I kept going back out. The coolest thing, and, I, and it's there was a theme for this year's race. It was one more lap. There was a gentleman that finished the race um, the year prior and was battling cancer and did not, you know, wasn't vocal about it. I don't know all of the details. He, he passed away the, that calendar year, and people found out that he had been battling cancer, and he still showed up and, and battled and, and completed that race. So the theme was one more lap. So at this point, I'm already breaking PRs by, by leaps and bounds. Previous mileage PR was 56 miles. I'm looking at the watch. I have 70. I have 75. I have 80. I have 82 miles. It was a no-brainer to just keep going, keep going. And you know me, Matt. Every day I'm talking about we're the lucky ones. Be grat Be grateful. We're still breathing. It's gratitude every season. All the little corny rhymes I'm throwing out there on Insta and stuff. I mean that stuff. And that's what keeps me going. I said, we're out here. You can do this, Maurice. You're the one that gets to do this. Um, so go out for one more. Go out for one more. And that got me That got me to the PR. And that was a official finish of 90.65 uh, miles. And I, that was the confidence. If I knew I could do 90 miles in 24 hours, in the heat in Bristol, I knew I could get to 100 in the heat in Arizona. It was a lot more difficult than I thought. <laughs> We're gonna dive into that. We're gonna dive into that. So anchor down is basically half the course is trail. It's kind of like a. There's definitely roots for sure, but it's 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 kind of on the lighter side. Um, like when I bring with you and Ted, I know my glasses on, so I was basically like walking the whole time. I was so deathly afraid I was gonna turn my ankle. But if you can actually see where you're going, it's not a challenging terrain. But half of it's half of it's trail, half of it's pavement. But it's a relatively flat course Correct. for sure. I mean, we're, there's not there's not hills. It's just kind of like a moderate incline, a moderate decline. Um, that is different. Than Havelina. Now, Havelina is not a mountain course by any means. There's plenty of people who run, you know, you know, hundreds that are four or five times more elevation gain Correct. than Havelina. So, Havelina 100 has about 6,800 feet of elevation gain. If you look at Maurice's Strava, that's exactly what you'll see. Which means that if someone were to run 10 miles, if you had an elevation, we got a little. We're bringing the fire. There's, Sorry, there's you hear the ambulance, the fire trucks in the back. We're bringing Providence. the heat on the podcast today. Um, so, so basically, the, the equivalent is if you ran ten miles, there'd be a 680 foot elevation gain, which is a hilly run, right? That is that is significant hilly. Uh, so, with that being the case. You had done the 90 miles in a 24-hour span. I always say confidence is high. That shows, hey, 100 miles is right there. You're knocking on the door. That's absolutely in your wheelhouse. The biggest difference here is all of a sudden you're going to be running in sand. And you're going to be running a course that has much more elevation gain than the one that you'd previously done. So where did these considerations factor into your training throughout the fall? Um, I did some beach sand runs just to kind of... Um get used to being, um, and I did a, I did a beach ultra, you know? Um, so I know what it's like to, to run on sand. Um, you gotta, I have to touch on the fact that I made another game day mistake and I bought some fancy gaiters for my sneakers that I had never tried on and I couldn't figure out how to buckle them on, um, the morning of the race, instead of just buying the normal ones at the expo that just slide over your, the tops of your shoes. I had to try to be fancy. I bought some professional mountain hiker gators and they just, I, they stayed in my bag. Okay. So, um, shout out Belega international because no rocks got into my socks. They're the best socks, um, on, on, on the, on the market, if you ask me. So no rocks got in my socks, but they did get no free ads. Oh, sorry, no sorry. Free ads. So we can get, you can cut that out. You can cut that out. 
Um, so <laughs> I, I wasn't thinking. So um, we, the, the rocks were getting into my shoes. I was able to bang them out, um, you know, when we stopped for, for at the aid stations and so forth. The elevation was very manageable with the exception of one six-mile stretch that I just have to talk about. The posit- and we should say it's a, it's roughly a 20, the first loop is 22 miles, and then all the other loops are roughly 19 miles. So you're basically doing five loops of this course, for people who are not familiar with Javelina. So, right, yeah, five, so, so like a five times 20 almost, you're exactly right. Thanks for getting the, the math exactly right. Um, so the first loop, you know, four miles, I'm, I'm feeling great. Well, I take that back. I got some cactus needles stuck in my toes after mile three, and a woman came running over. They call it jumping cactus, which I didn't know existed until, until Javelina. And I guess they blow in the wind. The cactus needles went right through the hokas. I could feel them in my toes. A woman came running over with a comb. <clears throat> she said, dude, dude, don't touch them with your hand. Don't touch them with your hand. She's combing out the needles. I'm saying thank you so much. <clears throat> but Matt, I'm not exaggerating. My foot, my right foot was throbbing in pain to the tune of me shedding a tear. That's how much pain I was in. And I said, Maurice, oh how God. are you going to run? This is mile yes. three. I said, how are you <laughs> oh going to run 97 miles with your foot in this much pain? My, You could see the frown on my face. That's how upset I was. I kept stepping forward, focused on other parts of my body, and that pain did go away. I was so thankful for the woman with the comb. I had a couple of needles in my leg, and th- she combed those out as well. So I guess having a comb is is uh, mandatory when you're out in the desert. So the first four miles of the loop, very manageable. You know, the, the sand wasn't that bad. Um, the dirt wasn't that bad. The second stretch, and then you hit an aid station, okay? The second stretch is six miles or 6.6. I have to go back to double check. To me, it was very technical. A lot of rocks, a lot of elevation, and even the best runners out there were power walking up this, up this hill. It after one of the 6.6 miles. So we're talking, I'm only 10 miles into this race and I'm telling myself, this is difficult. How are you going to do this four more times? I said, stay positive, keep trucking. Second loop on that six mile stretch again. I, I can't tell you enough. I have to admit my positivity was taking such a hit. I was literally chanting things to myself like, Maurice, your sweatshirt says positivity always. Maurice, you're supposed to be the positive panda. Maurice, you're supposed to be the high fives and positive vibes guy. Where is your positivity? It wasn't there on that six mile stretch just because it was so difficult for me. It seemed like such a long way to get to the next aid station. Then you would get there and there's lights and there's music and there's costumes and there's quesadillas and there's Coca-Cola and there's watermelon and there's all these things to take your mind off the fact that you're out in the desert for 100 miles. So it was so much fun. It was a huge challenge for me to, to, to keep going, um, knowing that I had that stretch. Because after that stretch, you're on like a 9.7 mile stretch where it's it's very manageable, Okay. There's a little bit of descension where you can kind of cruise and pick up some, pick up a little bit of speed and confidence. Obviously, speed builds the confidence when you're out in a in, a, in an event like that. Um, and that it was just that one stretch where I was really where my positivity was taking a hit. I, I'm sorry if I keep repeating myself. After the third time I did it, there was some doubts that I was going to be able to do it a fourth and fifth time. And then after the fourth time, they give you an orange bracelet that says last loop and you're going out for your last loop. And at that point, I knew that I could get 19 more miles out of these legs. Right. And we should say so that hill looks like it goes from about 1700 feet up to about 2500 feet. So you're talking yeah, it's a serious, you know, it's a serious incline, right? We're talking. What's that? I'm doing some quick math. There's about 800 foot elevation gain on that one but hill, footing, which is that. The, that's a that's a serious thing, right? Difficult. I mean, especially if you're if you're running over some rocks and there's some terrain there too. A lot of rocks. That's what made it the most difficult was the rocks because you had to make sure that you weren't tripping, tripping and falling into yeah. a cactus bush. <laughs> oh God! No, absolutely. All right, so. 
different. So you're a mile. You're you're the third loop. You're like, oh my god, I don't know about this. I don't know about this hill, right? It's it's taking forever. However, like, there's two more loops after that. So let's talk. Let's talk about this because this is something that um, you touched on a little bit and anchored down, right? In terms of like you had like you you had the end of the race. All of a sudden, you're running faster than you were at kind of like the two thirds point, right? We see this all the time in ultra recaps of people hitting, you know, at 60 to 70% there, they're at their, their down part. And this can be at various places, but ultimately so many people in the last 5%, last 10% reach this unexpected burst of energy or an unexpected level of performance. I did a whole episode on this. that just came out on Monday that happened at, at Ocean State Marathon that you were able to witness. You saw me come back from not feeling great to like really pushing it. So you see this all the time in some endurance races, all the time, especially in ultras. And we should say it. That's exactly what happened with you. Like, so let's let's kind of set the stage before we talk about what happened in the last, you know, the second half of the last loop. Um, because, you know, in order to, to really encapsulate how fast you were going at the end, we kind of have to set the stage for maybe how you were feeling, you know, the, a few hours before that. So several hours before that. And I have to touch on the fact that the running through the night is a challenge for me. Um, running through the night for two, for running at night with the proper gear is not a challenge. I enjoy it. Okay. I, I absolutely enjoy it. Running on the streets of Providence with your proper gear at nighttime is a lot different than running in the desert. Um, I don't do well with wildlife. I heard a bunch of howling coyotes that got me pretty scared for a while. But to answer your question more directly at nighttime was when I hit some of my lows where there was a lot of walking being done, a lot of, and it's a power walk, but it's not a run. It's not a jog. It's a walk. And then the doubt starts to set in. Are you really going to finish this in 30 hours? Are you really going to beat the cutoff? Right. Cause the 30 hour cutoff, right. Cut-off. I was about to bring that and, up. Yeah. And I knew I was making decent time to get to the 30 hours, um, to beat the 30 hours, but there was still so much distance to cover. You know, we're talking, looking at the watch and being at like 51 miles, you know, so you have 49 miles left. That's so much ground to cover. And if you're walking 49 miles is a long, long way to go. So I kept telling myself, you have to run, you have to run now. And that's one of, uh, that's one of coach Laurie's little things that she would throw at me is you have to run now. Okay. I did, I had done enough walking, even if it was for one. And I did these counts in my head, 100 seconds, Maurice, you can run for 100 seconds. And I would run as fast as I could. Maybe it was a 13 minute pace. Maybe it was a 12. I saw some 1150s. I even saw a couple of 1050s when I was getting down doing those hundred seconds. So now the confidence is getting back up there. My legs are still working. I'm not in horrible shape. Don't get me wrong. There were muscles that were tight and sore and but as far as like cramping and, and blisters, very, very minimal. So I, I, I have to douse myself in the gratitude of things to get over the negativity. I don't want to sound like the positive panda never faces negative thoughts, self-doubt, low points, like how the heck am I going to do this? This isn't going to get done. You're going to go home with an excuse. So I have to douse myself with the gratitude that, hey, you're still doing really good. You've only had to change your socks once. You're in the same shoes. You've only had to change your shorts once. You're doing awesome. You've never laid down. You're moving forward. Look at how awesome you are doing and just pump. Yeah, it seemed like your fueling was on point, which is obviously a huge yes, win. And I, and I have to thank, you know, experience from the hamster wheel, experience from anchor down, just knowing that what my, what my body can take in um, and not come home with any excuses. The biggest takeaway from the hamster wheel 12 hour was that I lasted 12 hours on my feet with no BS excuses about the bathroom, about the cramping, about getting hungry, about getting thirsty, about being underhydrated. I know what to do. I know when to take the electrolyte tablets. I know when to take the salt tablets. I know when to eat some pretzels and have a bite of peanut butter and jelly and all that stuff. And everybody's different. You know, you, you know the, the community. Some people are eating pickles or boiled potatoes. I'm a pretzels and peanut butter and jelly guy. And when they throw quesadillas in the mix, that's pretty exciting too. Um, so 
towards the end, a couple of things came into play. The same mindset from Anchor Down, where I was like, you are going to do this, and you are a runner. You are not a walker. You are a runner. Even if it was those 100-second breaks, I mean 100-second runs, turned to 60, turned to 40. There were times where I was trying to count to 100, and I only made it to 30 before I had to start walking again. So I made sure that that walk break was only 30 seconds, and I tried to pick up the pace again. When the sun came up and I got to see another sunrise and I knew it was going to get warm again. I have a, a friend in the community, Jen, that um, that calls me the solar panda. Solar. Sorry about the accent, um, because she says I'm positive when the sun's out, but maybe not so much so when the sun's not out. Um, so when that sun came out, I said, Mauricia, you can do this. You can do this. Here's the sunshine. It's light out. You don't need the headlamp. You don't need the hat, the gloves, and the jacket anymore, um, which was a challenge being out on the loop with all of your stuff. I'm not used to carrying stuff with me um, when I run like that, and I have to become more experienced with that, maybe get a bigger pack where I can throw stuff in the back and not just you know a couple liters of, um, of hydration. But these are things that, that you learn. Um, and the moving forward, the forward progress never fails mindset, that's what kept me going. And I was able to put together, you know, some some splits at the end, things that, that look decent on paper, you know, 13 minutes, 14 minutes. And that builds my confidence. I mean, I told you, we weren't breaking speed records out there. There were no, you know, sub nine minute paces towards the end of the race, with the exception of the last mile, because you know me, I had to try to be pretty, to try to tell myself that I'm pretty cool. And I was playing around with the, uh, with the paces and I tried to, and I, I take that back when, when I had six miles left, I texted my crew, Paul, Mark and Chris. And I said, cause they all finished hours before me. I texted them and I said, 10 K less than a 10 K left, I believe. And Paul texted back and said, hammer time. And I just knew that I had to run. It was time to run. Maurice, you've been walking. You did so much walking last night. You walked for miles. You walked almost an entire loop, okay? When I say an entire loop, because those running and jogging breaks were so so quick, you know? Right, and remember, people, a loop is 20 Correct. miles. Yeah, so. <laughs> right, this is not like, we're not talking the 2.6 at Anchor Down. This is a whole different animal. Right, so the, the fact that I had made it to the point where I only had six miles left, I knew that there was no quit. I knew I was going to beat the cutoff by of the 30 hours. I was, and, and the goals, the A goal was 24. That went out the window. I, I think I'm going to be putting a video up about that this week. Um, that A goal went out the window. I had a, I had a little vision of. Did the A goal out the window at mile three when you're like, oh. No, not, not yet. Cause that, that, <laughs> I got the needles in my foot. Um, the 24 and then 25 and 26, I knew wasn't really a realistic um, finish time. I said, maybe I'll go sub 27. I said, maybe I'll go sub 28. But then I stopped worrying about the time, all right, as we all should. We all should. Stop worrying about the time. I was worrying about getting it done because guess what? It was my first 100-mile buckle that was waiting for me. Um, that was the goal. The goal was to go home with that buckle. There was a point in the race where I was feeling very, very low, and a gentleman was running next to me. And he's like, dude, dude, I just dropped down to the 100K. This is so hard. And I, not to sound offensive, but that doesn't do well for my mindset. I don't want to drop down. And it made me think about it for a second. I'm like, wait, is that an option? Can you drop down to the 100K? Right. Because at that point in the race, your mind is searching yeah, for sir, reasons. And, and I right? any, any reason, any rationalization, it will grab onto with yes, both hands. And I have a problem with searching for excuses that's what my mind does i search for an excuse even at the end of a marathon i search for an excuse as to why i can't run and i have to walk for 90 seconds where people say stay in this pain cave stay in the pain cave and then you go home with regret when you when you when when stuff like that happens and i did not want to go home with regret so just and i know i'm got kind of going back and forth but th those were the thoughts that were going through my mind i'm like oh if i drop to the 100k that means I only need 62 miles. I'm at 51. I can get to 62. But I didn't go out there to run 62 miles. I went out there to run 100. And that's what I told myself. So when I had the six miles left, I tried like heck to run, not to jog, to run. And I 
I think my on Strava, Strava gave me a sub nine minute pace for my last mile. I think Garmin gave me. I'm going to read it okay. off. I'm going to read okay. it off because it, te- it, it teased me up for my next question. So the last two and a half miles, we got 1057. We got an 853. And the last half mile average pace of 844, which means over the last two and a half miles or so, you're averaging around 915 pace. So let's talk about what you learned about yourself and maybe things that we can take from that experience in terms of how, basically what you learned from the way you were able to finish this race, what you're going to take forward, what you're going to take from that moving forward and maybe something that just me, what can I take from your experience and I can learn from Time on feet, time on feet, time on feet, baby. Time on feet is more important than, than the speed. I had so many long workouts that were four or five hours long that weren't monstrous mileage numbers. We're talking maybe 15 miles, maybe 14 miles, but I was out on my feet for four hours. It sounds like a pedestrian pace. That four hours combined with another four hours a couple of days later, combined with another five hours a couple of days later. Being out in that desert, time on my feet was something I was so used to. I did the self-solo summer solstice run and the winter solstice run where I was just literally on my feet for 15 or 16 hours, not chasing a mileage goal, chasing a time goal. The fact that my legs still had something in them, still had some pop left in them was such a confidence booster. And I have to thank that. Um, I have to, I have to put, I have to give thanks to the, to the time on feet training. That That's what I'd like to say. And how about just the fact that they were that that you still had juice in your legs when you probably thought that there couldn't be any juice yeah, left in it, here, right? That had to have been exhausted hours it was ago. A mental victory it was, and it and it really really fired me up, and it and it helps me stay fired up for the future. If I can run at the end of a one hundred mile race, then I eventually want to be the guy that can run an entire. 100 mile race. I can't stress this point enough. I completed my first 100 miler with a lot of power walking. Okay. I want that power walking. And it was, we should say it was, and it was a flat race. It was, we're not talking about like if it's a, if you're going up a mountain, right, there's going to be power Correct. walking, right? You're talking about if it's going to be flat, yeah, you want to I be, I want to be running. And Javelina, you're right, does not have the elevation that some of these other 100s do. I completed my first 100. I am so stoked. I'm so amplified. I am so excited. However, my next my next challenge, my next goal is to become more efficient and to decrease the walk time, increase the run time, decrease the idle time, increase the movement time. So those are the things. I just want to become more efficient. And like you said earlier in the in this conversation, you have to complete your first 100 before you can race your 100. And I, that, that can't be more true. Now I know I can make the distance. Now it's how much faster can I get? How much more efficient can I get? Can I turn that 26 minute pit stop into a six minute pit stop? Can I turn my, and I had one that was, you know, it was pretty long. It was about 45 minutes, I think. Um, But that included bathroom, food, and a wardrobe change. So I'm not mad at the 45 minutes. And I sat down a second time to have a second bowl of pasta and a second hot cup of coffee. And those were things that I needed. Because if I went back out for a 20 mile loop without those two bowls of pasta, who knows what would have happened? You know, I, I needed to fuel, I needed to have food in my system. And I think I did very well, maybe not as, as good as I could have done. But in my in my mind, Stopping for the food, stopping for the coffee, stopping for the oatmeal, those things all all helped tremendously. At no point did my body feel like it was searching for food or hydration. And I'm 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 very happy with that. That's a huge win for sure. All right. You, you said before you love to have things on the calendar. It's very important for you to always be what's next and what's after that. So what's on the calendar now? How far out are you going? Uh, a twenty-six point two. Uh, Space Coast Marathon this month, the week of Thanksgiving, the significance of that is it's going to be my um, son Malik from Florida's very first marathon, and he wants to do it with his dad. So I'm like too blessed to be stressed in that in that regard. So me and my adult son from Rhode Island, Levi, we're driving down 
uh, Thanksgiving week. We're going to have an awesome Thanksgiving and we're going to run the marathon together. Um, I'm already eyeing anchor down for August of 2023 because I did not receive a 100 mile buckle. They don't give you a buckle unless you get the 100 miles. Um, so my goal is to get a buckle at anchor down. The big goal is Badwater 135, Matt, and you can't get there without quite a few of these 100s on your resume and a, and a handwritten essay and all that stuff. I am not naive to the fact that there is a long, long road, maybe three to five years. I'm not naive to that, but it's on my radar. I want the Marathon Panda to be a Badwater 135 finisher before I turn 50. So that gives me six years. All right. I love it. And hopefully you and I can do some of this stuff together. I'm looking at my race calendar for 2023 as well. I think it's going to be trail dominated. I love like it. Right I love now. it. And then there's going to be a 3,000 day run streak party. Um, oh, yeah. I meant, to, I meant to ask about that. Thank you for bringing that up. All right. Let's talk about that. So right now um, I'm at 2,497 days. I just recently, and when I say recently, two days ago, as of November 1st or October 31st, there are going to be no more one mile for streak sake runs. The minimum is two miles now. Um, not a huge jump, but it's a very realistic, modest jump. I just want to keep the minimum at two. So on a day like the day after Javelina, where I'm in no shape to run at all, I do a power walk. See, this is this was the positive you going over 24 hours that that yeah, day, because right? Because it, it bled into the next, the next day, day, so you, you had a little bit of space. <laughs> so on Monday evening, when I was back in Rhode Island, I did a two mile power walk slash jog to keep the streak alive. Was very very happy that my legs were able to do that, um, and I did that again the next the next night. Um, I'm confident that I'm going to keep the streak alive. It's one of the biggest pieces of my journey. It holds me accountable. It helps keep me sober everything that I talk about and, and everything that I do. I love the run streak. I love being able to yap about it. I love the guys that I follow um, that inspire me to keep going. There's a woman that's been doing it for 20 years. There's, you know, there's Mark that, that does the, um, the weightlifting and the run streak. I think his minimum is um, 5k. Jake, a uh, little nasty. His, his minimum is a 10k. I'm not at that point, um, but I want to keep the days going. 2500 is this saturday so that that's, that's amazing. pretty exciting um and that's i know i've said it before but guess what they are all outside hashtag no treadmills on race day it does not count if it's an inside run i have done some training on the treadmill but that does not count for the run streak the run streak is all outside Right. And that's obviously that's that's how you want to do it. And it's your run streak. You can do it however you want. That's for sure. And and kudos to you for actually for doing the things that you need to do to stay healthy. Right. Sometimes the best ability is availability and making sure, knock on wood, you know, that you're keeping that going because that's that that's the biggest thing. And and kudos to you for doing over the past year the stuff in the gym and all the other work as you've completely blown your mileage out of the water you know, to prepare yourself to stay healthy during all of that. Cause it's one thing to have a plan for how you want to do it. But if you get hurt, the plan doesn't mean anything. Correct. All right. Correct. And so the fact that you didn't have any of these overuse injuries and you stayed strong, um, is a testament to all the work you did outside of running to prepare you for it. Yes. Yes. And I just want to say this to, to especially if there's a, a new listener or somebody that hasn't uh, followed any of my journey before. Um, I started jogging, trying to hit 20 minutes of continuous running jogging without stopping and it was difficult it was very difficult going for going for a three or four mile run was not something that was happening consistently i stayed super consistent every day at trying to tackle that 20 minute time when the 20 minutes became easy it became 30 minutes. I can remember the first time I ran for 90 minutes without stopping and I was on cloud nine for days. Okay. So just to, you can start from anywhere, ladies and gentlemen, you can start from anywhere. If you're outside and you don't think you can run one mile, then run a quarter of a mile and then walk and then repeat it. And if you can't repeat it that day, repeat it the next day. Everybody starts from somewhere. I'm not a former division one athlete. I wasn't an all-star at baseball or football or basketball or anything like that. Running has always been my go-to activity 
Um, it was my go-to activity when I wanted to build self-esteem and confidence after having, you know, a bad week or a bad night. And when I got serious about health, wellness, and sobriety, the running was my foundation. It was a part of my life every single day. Um, and it will continue to be. And I just have to touch on that again. I want to drive that point home. You can start from anywhere. Um, I started at 20 minutes and I just completed a 28 hour, uh, 100 miler. So that's a, a little bit different from a 20, 20 minute run. There you go. All right. Someone wants to follow you and everyone should, where can they go on Instagram to see what you're doing on a daily it's basis? It's still marathon Panda Maurice. I'd like to change it to ultra Panda, but I, I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant. Yeah, no way. I, I, well, we're going to see, I got to get some more ultras. <laughs> All right. The link to that is in the show notes. If you didn't catch it already, Maurice, thank you so much for coming on the show and I'll see you I'll soon see you running around I'll Rhode be, Island. I'll see you very soon. High fives and positive vibes to everybody. We are gratefully grinding and we are the lucky ones that get to do this peace and one love everybody. Thank you, Matt.